Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that there isn't a single thing you don't know about on this earth. There isn't a single bit of germ, bacteria, or virus you don't control or or know about or its whereabouts or, or allow it to do what it does. And you work all these things for our good and your greatest glory. We praise you for you are indeed sovereign. And you watch over us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. At the close of Deuteronomy, I thought we were in the book of Acts. Yeah, we are. Okay. At the close of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua, God repeats an idea to Joshua over and again because repetition is is the mother of memory, right? We remember things when they're repeated to us. God says, I know you've been 40 years wandering in the desert. And I know your older generation, they're they're all gone. No more Moses to lead and to guide. And you're about to go into a place that others have described as a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there, there we saw Nephilim, the, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. God says, I know that what you're walking into, what I'm leading you into, is hard. Life can be hard. And yet, God says to Joshua, take courage. Take courage. Deuteronomy 31.6. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And it doesn't take God very long to say the exact same thing in chapter 31, verse 7. The very next verse. And then just some verses later in chapter 31, verse 23, again, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into a land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Take courage. I have a plan, and I will be with you. And he reinforces this same thought three more times in the first chapter of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Here's my plan. I will be there with you. Well, Lord, you you mean even though life can be overwhelmingly difficult? Last week I began the message by saying that we live in a world that's often a barrage of information and distraction from our real purpose, but have you found yet that sometimes life can just be a barrage? A place that seems like continuous hardships one after another, and a land filled with Nephilim, giants that we just can't possibly get rid of. We live in a state of fear waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's a reason for that old adage, isn't there? 
as circumstances and people come against us, all, all beating us into a tired, worn, ready-to-be-done submission. And our, our Christian walk often, often becomes more of a Christian sit and wait because we're tired. We're afraid. We're done. Lord, I'm just not being effective anyways, so why go on? God says to us, take courage. I have a plan, and I will be with you. Here in Acts, Paul, he's been beaten. He's been jailed. He's been beaten. He's been ridiculed. And he's been beaten some more. As we read in chapter 23, verse 10, it became so violent there in in the council of of Jerusalem, the elders as they gathered the Sanhedrin, it became so violent that he could have been torn to pieces and he had to be removed forcibly with soldiers from their presence. I'm sure that for, for some moment he must have thought, you know... It's time to throw in the towel. I'm done wandering in the wilderness and fighting against giants. I'm ready to go home now. All I want is for mom to make me some warm pita bread, a little tabbouleh, some hummus, sit by a warm fire and read a good book. Is that too much to ask, Lord? Yes, I testified. I've been testifying. But how many people wanted to tear me apart and how many people actually responded to my testimony? So God appears to Paul. God appears to Paul and he says, take courage. Here's my plan. And I'm right here with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 if you haven't done that already. Going to read a rather lengthy passage, so I'm going to let you stay down for this one. <laughs> 2311, it says, The following night, right after he had just about been torn to pieces, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also. In Rome. Take courage. I've got a plan. And he gives them all this while he's standing right there beside him. Take courage. In the text here, in the Greek, we've got a present imperative verb. And that that present tense uh, has an indication of it's happening in continuation. Now and ongoing. And it's imperative. It's in that imperative mood. You must. You need to do this. I'm not just asking you to. You've got to do this. So when he says to Paul, take courage, he's saying, you really must take courage and continue to do so. It's a present imperative verb with two implications. We live on a Christian continuum. And suffering will be a part 
of that Christian life, of that Christian walk. Why, after all, would Paul need to take courage if it wasn't going to continue to be challenging? If we are going to walk with Christ, if that's why you are here, we will need to choose courage. God says to him, as you have testified in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. The Christian life is not a moment in time. It starts in a moment. For you mathematicians out there, Walt, it's a ray. It starts here at this one point in time, and then it keeps going forever and ever and ever, without an end. Christian life begins at that moment at which our eyes are opened by the Spirit of God to the truth of the gospel, but it's far from the end of our commitment. From that point, we are set on a continuum as we have accepted Christ, so now we must live it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. Walk in a manner worthy of God. What is it to walk? What do you do when you walk? You move forward, right? You're, you're proceeding forward. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Keep going, proceeding forward in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We are called to walk, to move forward in our relationship with God, to live it. James chapter 2, verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Or how about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All this that we do here, that's great. It's good. We're here to build each other up, to encourage each other, but, but what is our spiritual worship? Presenting our bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We must take courage and live out our faith. We must take courage to live out our faith because it isn't easy. Knowing that, that living this transformed life, walking on this continuum will include suffering in this world. You may have noticed that God does not remove Paul from this situation, does he? I don't know exactly how much Paul knew was going to happen, exactly how this was going to go. I doubt he knew much because God had to come and stand beside him and say, keep going, I'm right here. I have a plan. God doesn't remove Paul from the situation. He leaves him in bonds in the Roman civic system because God will always work within our free will. 
God will always work within our free will. He will not remove our free will from us while he works out his plan for us. That's how sovereign our God is. That he can allow you your free will to walk in any way you want. He can allow this world to fight against him and he can still work out his plan. His plan of salvation for us through and in spite of a fallen world. He does it all without removing our free will. That is, that is how loving our God is. He doesn't want a robotic forced love from us. And he still works out this plan of salvation on our behalf. God desired to see the gospel spread throughout the known world at that time as efficiently as possible. So, leaving Paul in the system means that Paul, a common man and a Jew, would be given audience to Roman officials, Roman soldiers, and eventually the emperor himself. Fancy that. But this means that as as God works through the free will of men, we are his tools that will remain in a broken world. And we will have to endure hardships and trials for the sake of being Christ's ambassadors. Through this hardship, Paul is being enabled to speak the gospel to people who would never want to hear it. The suffering serves a greater purpose. And let us be clear, let us understand that while there are those out there who will tell you that God has a wonderful plan for your life, get rich, right? God makes no promises of puppies and bunnies and rainbows. Jesus said to his disciples, John 15, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul says to Timothy straight out, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to. To live out our faith to such a degree that we share in the suffering. But take courage. Because just with Paul, just as with him, the suffering is not pointless. But God has a plan. Take courage. God has a plan. But how do I know? How do I know that I am actually in that plan of God? Do you want to know if you're in the plan of God? Take this book. Open its pages. Read it for what it says. And apply it. Take that next step that so many just don't want 
to do. Apply it. Know it and apply it. Know the facts of God's word and walk in it. It can be challenging. It can be hard. It will challenge every aspect of our lives. It'll challenge us in ways we don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be faithful. I don't want to stand up for God's word when everybody around me doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Believe me, I'm right there with you. But it really is that simple. The hard part is that so often we don't want to apply it. It's easier just to know it, to feel good about knowing God's word, come in, sing some songs, and go home. Go right back to the same life we've always had. I mean, does God really want everything? Is that what he really says in his word? He wants every part of my life? Does he really want me to to be a Christ-centered steward of the music I listen to? A Christ-centered steward of the food I eat? How I do my my classroom work or or how I do my work work? Do I really have to be an upstanding steward of, of everything? The words I speak, do they really need to be laced with Christ? And the concepts of God's word. Does God want me, of all people, to actually Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Or to Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Does he really want me to do these things? Yes. He wants every detail in order. He wants our witness to be able to hold water in every way. You'll you'll notice he didn't say to Paul, you know what, you've been just about there. You're almost bearing witness. You're, You're almost there. And hey, that's close enough. He said, as you have testified to the facts about me. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The word for testify there being a word that, a form of it that means to appeal emphatically to the facts of a situation. As we live for Christ and and ambassador him, we need to have our facts in order, our biblical facts in order, our details straight, and then live lives, live our lives in accord with that word. Because how we live out these facts is how we bear witness to them. Do you remember Paul's testimony in, in chapter 22 as we read through that? Was, was, did he just sit there and quote scripture at people? When he gave his witness to the Jews as they were crowded around and he was trying to address them all? Did he just quote scripture? What did he do there? His testimony, the facts of who Christ is and what he's done came not only from scripture and the person of Christ, but the facts also came from Paul's own life 
and how he lived it now that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. He gave testimony to the things that God had done in his own life, how God had changed him from being a persecutor of the church to now one who fights for the church. Look at what God has done in my own life, and please understand the truth of who he really is. Look at how my life lines up with God's word, and please understand, this is how Paul appealed to the facts, how he testified to the facts through his own life lived out in accord with God's call, in accord with God's word. Colossians three seventeen. Does God really want everything? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do most things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything. What area of our lives are we keeping out of that everything? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's easier just to come to church on Sunday and know God's word, isn't it? But Paul would never have been able to be the witness that he was without a life that matched the facts, a life that appealed to the truth of God's word. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I like to read his works, and he said in his reflections on Psalm 63, I am convinced that the greatest need today is Christian people who know and manifest the fact that they know the living God to whom his loving kindness is better than life. Is that true for you? Is loving kindness better than life to the point that it would affect every single aspect of our lives, that we would have a testimony that holds water? God says, as you have, so you must. As you bore testimony, testimony about me, so you must continue to do so. Get up and go. Do something with what you know to be true because you, Every last one of you that he called by name, every single one of us that he has drawn to himself, we are a part of God's plan. And he says to us, I will carry you through. Take courage. I have a plan, and I will be with you. This is where our courage is rooted, not in ourselves or how good we are, but in God's presence knowing that he is there. He said it to Joshua, and he stood by Paul, and he assures us, I am here. I didn't wind up the world and let it go and watch it from afar just to laugh. God is not a deist. Well, it must have been nice for Paul. I mean, he got a visit from the Lord himself, right? Have you ever seen between 
creation, the things we see in creation and scripture and, and how those things come together. Have you ever seen God to be any less than 100% true to his word? Any less than 100% true to his word? No. And this is the same God who says to us in Matthew 28, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And God has given us Paul as an example to us. That we would see the, the call and the life of Paul and how God operated within that in order that we would then follow in his footsteps with the same assurance that Paul had. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul calling us to, to follow his example, himself being our example of a Christian life. In 1 Timothy, when he's, he's written this letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, what God has done in my life is an example to others, a display to others of how he works, his patience, his faithfulness. So when God says to you, here's your gift set, these are the talents, the skills, and the abilities that I've given to you. When he tells us in his word, you are a part of my plan. Go share the gospel through all you say and all you do. You may suffer because you are my tools in a fallen world, but I will be with you. He suffered for us, didn't he? We are bought with a price. When he says these things to us, we can know with all confidence and assurance that it is true, as true as he has been to his entire word. He will be with us just as he stood by Paul. So take courage. There's things coming, aren't there? changes in the wind take courage in spite of the hardships keep walking with god in his ways answering his call upon your life because he has a plan and you are a part of that plan and he will be with you he will never leave you he will never forsake you your salvation is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is God. And God will not fail. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, our, our church family is yours.
Thank you, Lord, for buying us with a price that is far greater than silver or gold. But by your blood, we have been adopted as sons and daughters into your family. And Lord, we are one another's brothers and sisters because of you calling us together. And Lord, I pray that you would build us up by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, that we would be encouragers of one another, those who build each other up, those who mentor one another, those who love one another. Lord, those who challenge one another according to your word out of a love for you and for one another. Help us to live lives that testify, to to take courage and, and get through the suffering together. Draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to one another, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.